Morning, saints. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for all that you have granted us to participate in this morning. Just the pictures. Of, of redemption that we have seen, baptism and communion, and the songs that we have sung, and our interaction with one another and fellowship. It, it is a wonderful thing to be members of the body of your Son. We thank you that you have, you have called us to yourself and that, that we are here this morning. And Lord, it is a privilege to open our Bibles now and to consider truth, truth that was written long ago, truth that is pertinent to us because your word stands forever. And we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would minister to us in the coming minutes, that he would minister to us by helping us to understand these things, and that understanding them we would live in light of them. Father, it's possible that there are some among us who have read these words many times but have never taken them seriously. Father, if that's us, we pray that you would grant us forgiveness and soberness. So we're about to read very serious things, very serious true things, and we need your help to regard them rightly and to live in light of them. We're confident, Lord, that you will help us because you love us and you've shown us that in so many ways. We pray that you would help us now. We ask for that help in the name of Jesus, our brother and your son. Amen. Please open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. This morning we'll be considering verses 1 through 4. So as you find your place there, please stand with me. And... I will read those four verses. Hebrews 2, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape If we neglect such a great salvation, it was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. You may be seated. I had a conversation with a seminary professor in 2007. 
Dr. Sean Wright was talking to me about how crucially important it is to be exposed to gospel preaching. And he gave this personal testimony. He he said, if it weren't for my sitting under weekly faithful preaching of the gospel, I would have abandoned the faith years ago. And I found that shocking. I I, I almost couldn't understand what he meant. I, I, I thought for sure I had misunderstood him. We talked about it a bit more and he explained what he meant and, and over the years, especially as I've as I've studied the book of Hebrews, I've I've come to realize that this was a man who took very seriously the word of God, and in particular this passage and other passages in the New Testament like it, which teach that consistent attention to the good news is a means that God uses to keep us in the faith. And that's the big idea this morning before us. We must fasten our attention to the gospel as a primary means of perseverance in the faith. We must fasten our attention to the gospel as a primary means of perseverance in the faith. Look at verse 1 again. The author writes, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard lest we drift away from it. Now, what, what have we heard that we need to pay attention to? Well, he refers to it a, a couple of verses later in verse 3 as such a great salvation. He's talking about the gospel. And the gospel is the good news that although man from the very beginning rebelled against God and incurred God's just wrath against him, God sent His own eternal Son to live as a man. And serve as a substitute for sinners. That son, he obeyed God in man's place. And he died on the cross for man's sin. So that man might be forgiven and reconciled to God. And three days after his death on the cross, Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. So that all who turn from their sin and cling to him in faith will not perish but spend eternity with the Godhead when Christ returns in power to reign. That's the gospel. And in verses 3 and 4, as we just read, the author reminds the readers that this great salvation, this gospel, came to them from three very reliable sources. First of all, the Lord Jesus Himself. We saw in our study of, of Mark a year or so ago that Jesus repeatedly foretold of His suffering, His death, His burial, His resurrection in order to ransom sinners from death. And He he called men to repent and and trust in Him. So so Jesus spoke this gospel. Secondly, those who heard it directly from Jesus affirmed that all of it was true. That is, there were eyewitnesses to all these things that went about telling others. Thirdly, God Himself testified along with Jesus and the eyewitnesses, bearing witness in the form of signs, wonders, miracles, gifts of the Holy Spirit, all of these things that we read about in in the book of Acts. All of this is what the author means in verse 1 when he writes, what we have heard. It's the gospel received from Christ, the eyewitnesses, and God Himself. What about it? 
What is he saying that we need to do with this? We should pay all the more attention to it given what was taught in chapter 1. The word therefore, the beginning of the chapter, reminds us we're not studying verses 1 through 4 in a vacuum, but this relates to what we've already looked at in the first part of the book. Therefore, because of the overwhelming greatness of God's final definitive revelation in and through Jesus Christ, we should pay all the more attention to that revelation. This isn't just any old news. And it isn't just great news. In a sense, this is the only news. And we must pay attention to it. We must pay all the more attention to it. To what end? Well, we'll find as, as, we, as we move through the passage that when he writes, we must do this, he means that in the truest sense. It's really, really crucial that we get into our heads this morning that the, the author of Hebrews is not just handing us something like a helpful tip for maintaining devotional vigor, as if paying attention to the gospel will help with your prayer life or, or make it easier to kill sin or listen to sermons. We must do this in order to remain in the faith. We must, we must. That's what he means by we must. We must do this. Because he ends this sentence by saying, we must pay all the more attention in order that we do not drift away. That leads to a key, a key second idea this morning. Inattention to the gospel creates a favorable environment for apostasy. Inattention to the gospel creates a favorable environment for apostasy. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. That that phrase, drift away, in the larger context of Hebrews, is, is not simply a temporary disinterest in the truth. I'd venture to say that most of us who have been following the Lord for for, for, for any length of time, most of us have experienced what, what we might characterize as a temporary disinterest in the truth. It's not what he's talking about. Rather, drifting away for the author of Hebrews is a phrase used to describe apostasy, abandonment of the faith. The phrase drifting away in the original culture, it was a nautical metaphor. It was used to describe a ship that is not anchored. What happens to a ship that's not anchored? Well, it, it slowly drifts out to sea. And the, the, the beauty of the author of Hebrews choosing this meta- metaphor to describe apostasy is, is explosive because it indicates that apostasy or abandonment of the faith is not like this overnight Light bulb going off, or, or maybe we should think of it more as, as, as a, a, a light bulb dimming, but, but rather apostasy is like this slow drifting from belief. Remember from our first week in, in Hebrews, what were some of the specific things that the author of Hebrews saw that were concerning him? He saw a cooling in their zeal for steadfastness in trial. He saw others that were neglecting the gathering of the saints. In, in other words, they were, they were losing interest in corporate sharpening. 
Still others were lax in their study of the Word, or, or we might say that they, they, were, they were lax in their, their hunger for private sharpening. In other words, there appears to have been a progressive movement or, or a, a spectrum of shrinking away, or, or to use the metaphor that he is using here, drifting away. So, how does, according to this passage, how does that drift come, that slow drift? Apparently, it comes from inattention to the gospel. If, if attention to the gospel keeps one from drifting away, then inattention to the gospel creates an environment that is favorable to drifting away. Each of those warning signs that, that we've already recognized, that I just mentioned, they are each manifestations of inattention to the gospel. When I pull away from meaningful, intentional interaction with other believers for the purpose of gospel conversations, stirring one another up to love and good works, that, that, that's, that's similar to, to somebody pulling up the anchor from their boat. When my capacity for Bible intake shrinks or becomes singularly focused on a pet theological issue or becomes all about application to others to the exclusion of of the nourishment of my own soul. It's like like I'm pulling up the anchor. When when my struggles, my, my trials are viewed strictly through the lens of human experience or temporal emotion or practical facility, and, and I don't. I don't strive to think of my trials in terms of their usefulness to the kingdom, their usefulness for my own sanctification, and, and how those trials are, are placing me as a mouthpiece for the gospel. It's like I'm pulling up my anchor. And it's important to realize that, 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 that when I'm doing that, I'm not setting out to do it on purpose. It's not like I wake up one day and think, you know, I think I'll sabotage my faith today by, by canceling my one-to-one Bible reading relationship and, and never going back to it. Or, or maybe I'll choose not to spend time with the Lord today, set myself on a trajectory toward walking away from the faith. I don't intentionally think that. And it's not like any one of those things is going to be a straight shot toward apostasy. But the thing to keep in mind, and it just seems that this is where the author of Hebrews is leading, is that drifting leads to more drifting. And I may find that inattentiveness to the gospel over an extended period of time will lead to a place where it's the norm for me on the daily to pull up the anchor and just drift. To just let whatever influence my heart and my mind regarding what is and is not true. I don't know if you've been blessed with this, this kind of self-awareness, but I know myself well enough to know that I cannot survive for any length of time in a place where my own thoughts and feelings reign unchecked by the gospel. I have to have that anchor. The road toward apostasy, it it may be marked by a final conscious decision to walk away from the Lord, but it is likely preceded by a lengthy period of progressive inattention to the good news, drifting, drifting, drifting. And so... He, he says, 
do this. Pay all the more attention to the gospel so that you don't drift away from it. Failure in this creates an environment favorable to apostasy and apostasy will lead to judgment. Apostasy will lead to judgment. Verse 2. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? This constitutes a kind of argument common to ancient Jewish literature. It's called an argument from the lesser to the greater. So, ghost peppers are much hotter than jalapenos. So, if jalapenos make me weep like a little girl, then how much worse suffering would a ghost pepper cause me? That's an argument from the lesser to the greater. And the author of Hebrews loves these kind of arguments. Loves them. We're going to see them, we're going to see them several times. Jesus Christ, far superior to the angels, as we clearly saw in chapter 1. And so now, the, the Old Covenant was declared by angels and he's he's saying here that the the old covenant the old covenant declared by angels it was reliable what he means by that is that it was immovable in the sense that anyone who disobeyed it received a just retribution we've got many examples of that many many examples of that in the old testament so if that's true if that's true with a spoken through angels message how much more will it be true of a spoken through Christ message? How shall we escape? That is, how shall we escape retribution if we neglect so great a salvation? How shall we escape judgment if we apostatize? And the obvious answer is, we won't. Now, these words may seem puzzling to us even troubling to us, just as I was so puzzled by what my professor said to me all those, all those years ago. He wasn't even a Wesleyan Arminian, if you know what that is. He was a five-point Calvinist saying this to me. I was so confused. And you may be wondering that now. Don't we believe in the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints? Well, certainly we do. We just need to understand it rightly. We need to understand it in the context of all the Scriptures. So I want to give you a few things that, that, we, that we must understand in order to understand the doctrine of the perseverance of the, stain, of the, of the saints. There are, there are three of these I believe I'm going to give you. Forgive me if there's more. Yeah, I think there's three. First of these is, is this. Perseverance in faith until the end is necessary in order to enter eternal life. Perseverance in faith until the end is necessary in order to enter eternal life. That is, we have to believe until the end. Listen to this quote from Tom Schreiner, five-point Calvinist, New Testament professor at Southern Seminary, and a Bible scholar with whom we have great affinity here at, at Providence. He, he wrote this, quote, The New Testament nowhere teaches that an initial acceptance of the saving message is sufficient without perseverance in faith. What he's getting at is you have to keep believing until the end. 
That's why it was the habit of the apostles and the New Testament authors to exhort new believers and old believers to continue in the faith. In other words, we don't find in the New Testament what we find so many evangelists today doing, which is immediately upon somebody accepting Christ, telling them, congratulations, you're in. Don't worry about it anymore. Rather, the apostles and the New Testament authors would would immediately begin telling people, strive to continue in the faith. Keep believing. Remain in the grace of God. Let me give you some examples of these references in the New Testament. Acts 14.22 They strengthened the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. One, one chapter earlier, Acts 13.43 And after the meeting of the synagogue, they broke up many Jews and devout converts to Judaism, followed Paul and Barnabas, who as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. Colossians 1, 22 and 23. You, He is now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, if indeed you continue in the faith. Hebrews 3, 6. We'll get to this here few weeks maybe, Lord willing. Hebrews 3.6 But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are His house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Hebrews 3.14 For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. 1 Corinthians 15.2 You are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you. Jude 20 and 21. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. The opening passage that Pastor Dan read for us this morning from 2 Peter 1 exhorts the reader to persevere in faith and and fruit bearing unto their entrance unto eternal life. One must continue believing to the end in order to inherit eternal life. That's the first thing to understand. It's undeniable. We cannot deny that and be biblical in our thinking. Second, and building upon that, second, those who belong to God are kept by God's power through faith. Those who belong to God are being kept by God's power through faith. Those who belong to God are being kept by God's power through faith. That's the heart of the doctrine of perseverance of the saints. And it's a virtual quote of 1 Peter 5, which which reads, The believers are, by God's power, being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Did did you know that, that this is one of the things that makes the new covenant new? If you're taking notes, you might write down Ezekiel 36. 26 and 27. Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27 reads this way. God says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. 
Sounds a lot like the, the new covenant prophesied in Jeremiah 31, which many of us are familiar with. We may not be familiar with something just one chapter later in Jeremiah 32. This is Jeremiah 32, 40. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing them, doing them good. And li- listen to this. This is fantastic. I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. Isn't that wonderful? Aren't you thankful for that? I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. God does a work in the hearts of His own to keep them in the faith. And this is exactly what Jesus prayed for His disciples in John 17. He said, Father, keep them in Your name. Just a few verses later, He says, Father, keep them from the evil one. 1 Corinthians 1, 7-9, Paul writes this, You are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain you to the end. The Lord Jesus sustains us to the end. So, backing up these, these first two things that we need to understand in order to, to have a right picture of, of the, the perseverance of the saints. The first, again, was perseverance in the faith is necessary in order to enter eternal life. Second, those who belong to God are kept by His power. Here's the third, here's the third truth. God uses means to cause His saints to persevere. God uses means or tools to cause His saints to persevere. Our being kept by God's power, we ought not think of this as as like some kind of involuntary automation, like, like, like spiritual puppetry. Listen again to 1 Peter 1.5. You, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. God does not guard us apart from our faith, from our believing, but through our believing. That that, that is, He moves us to keep believing. And and that's that's how He guards us. And the evidence shows that, that He uses various tools or means to move us to keep believing. What are some of those means? I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you several of these. Okay, if you're, if you're taking notes, one of those means is the preaching of the word. The preaching of the word. This is why it's really important to be in a church. Doesn't have to be this one, but 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 it needs to be a church where you are hearing the preaching of the word, and in particular, gospel-filled preaching. All right. 1 Timothy 4.16 Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. This is, this is Paul talking to Timothy. Saying, look, you've got to keep a, a close watch on your own life and what you're teaching. If you do that, you'll save yourself and your hearers. That's how important this is. And now he's talking to a, a, a saved guy who's with a bunch of saved guys, saved people. And, and he, he's saying that this is going to be a means to help you and them cross the finish line of faith. That's important. Similarly, he says, or writes to, to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 1-4, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing in His kingdom. Do you, do you hear how he's, he's saying, hey, listen, Timothy, 
this is important. That's how you tell somebody this is important. You, you, you say, hey, Jesus, God, be a witness to what I'm about to say to this guy. So this is important. He says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into, myth, into myths. In other words, he's saying, hey, 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 Timothy, preach the word. Preach the gospel. Preach what doesn't feel good. Preach, preach to people what, what, what may not tickle their ears, but what they need in order to help them cross the finish line. It's one of the means, one of the means that God uses to cause His people to persevere in the faith. Another means is intentional fellowship. And we've returned to this many times over the years. We'll return to it again here in a few months. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. What's the day that he's talking about? He's talking about the day that Christ returns. What would that have to do with anything? He means the day that Christ comes back. That's judgment day. Stir one another up so that you're ready for that day. And and what do you need to do to be ready for that day? You need to be believing on that day. And that's that's why he says... Get together, people. Stir one another up so that you're all believing on that day. Keep it going. Intentional fellowship. Christ-centered, gospel-rich fellowship. That's a means that God uses. That's a tool that God uses to cause His people to to persevere in the faith. Another means, mutual edification through the use of our spiritual gifts. It's a longer passage. I'm not going to take the time to read it, but if you're, if you're taking notes, write down Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 16. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 16. If you think it's not important for you to be serving meaningfully in the body of Christ, you are dead wrong. If you think it is okay for you, and for the people around you, and for their perseverance in the faith, for your perseverance in the faith, for you to just come here on Sunday mornings and just hear a sermon, you need to take seriously what Paul writes in Ephesians 4, verses 7 through 16. It is not okay. It is not safe. You are in danger and you're putting others in danger. In order for you to persevere and for them to persevere, you need to be serving meaningfully with the gift that God has given you. You will not mature in the faith, and others will not either, if you are not serving. And and, and it's obvious, given what he writes in Ephesians 4. He's not talking about darkening the door. Another means is prayer. Another means is prayer. Uh, I've already already mentioned Jesus praying for the preservation of, of the disciples in John 17. He prays that for His disciples. And, and, and Paul follows that example in numerous places, but one of those is 1 Thessalonians 3, 12-13. He says, May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that, we, so that He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of the saints. You may remember when we were in 1 Thessalonians a, a few years ago, Paul, Paul's not concerned so much about racking up conversions, 
Paul is concerned about racking up people crossing the finish line with him. And to that end, he encourages them to persevere and he prays for it. So prayer is a means that God uses to cause the saints to persevere in the faith. Another means, another means is warnings like the one that we're looking at in Hebrews chapter 2. And like we're going to look at in Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 6, and Hebrews chapter 10. There's a host of them in Hebrews. They're, they're throughout the New Testament. If we drift away, he says, if we apostatize, how will we escape? Listen, these words mean what they say. Pe- people who come to the end of their lives saying, I don't believe in Jesus. I, I don't trust Him. I don't want Him. I'm going another way. Those people don't inherit eternal life. They inherit judgment, period. That's what the Bible says. And this warning is one of the means that God uses to cause those who belong to Him to keep believing. I don't know about you, but when I read something like Hebrews chapter 2, I think, yes, I want more gospel because I don't want to drift away. And so that is... Hebrews, the warning of Hebrews, that is this means God having His way in me through this means. And I presented to you on the first week here in Hebrews that your desire to hear Hebrews preached is this means having its way in you. God is using these warnings to say, man, I need more of that. Another of God's means is the big one prescribed in this passage, which is fastening one's attention to the gospel. Fastening one's attention to the gospel. We'll come back to that in a minute. But, but, but let's, let's just think kind of big picture about God's use of means to move us to persevere. I'm going to give you an analogy at the risk of giving you an analogy because analogies are universally faulty because it's going to fall apart at some point. But just take this for what it's worth. We, we could... Think of perseverance as, as driving a car without veering off the road. That's, that's the objective, is driving a car without veering off the road. And if that's our analogy, then, 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 then perseverance is not analogous to, to, to some kind of like Tesla robo-taxi or a, a self-driving car without any volitional involvement from us. We just take in the scenery. We are active in our perseverance. But God empowers every part of perseverance using many means to make sure that the car stays on the road. So if we were to continue with this analogy, we might might think then of of God doing things like making sure that the tank is full of gas and and that the the power steering works. And and He he, he gives us this this innate desire to want to keep the car on the road. We don't want to go off the cliff. And He gives us new windshield wipers so that we've got good visibility. And He makes sure that we've got all the upper and lower body mobility to make sure that we can, we can operate the car. Coffee so that we're alert. Good eyesight so that we can see what we need to see. And He puts up warning signs saying there's a curve ahead. Turn! Now, theoretically, if you don't turn the wheel, when that curve comes, what's going to happen? 
you will go off the cliff. But all the means at work ensure that the car doesn't go off the cliff. All these means that that have been brought to bear, your own God-given desire to to keep the car on the road, all the functioning gauges, the warning signs, all of that, they ensure that the car stays on the road. Similarly, theoretically, if I don't continue to believe in the gospel, if I apostatize, what will happen? There's no mystery. The author of Hebrews has said it right here. To contend contend that I will still somehow escape judgment is to deny the plain reading of this text. Scan scan through verses 3 and 4 again. These last few things about this was spoken through Jesus. It was spoken through these eyewitnesses and and by God Himself. Some, Some commentators have presented these as these are reasons to believe. Kind of the, 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 the positive spin on, on what he's doing here. You should believe the gospel because it's spoken by Jesus. It was affirmed by eyewitnesses and confirmed by God. Strictly speaking, that's not the best way to understand what, what the author is saying. Rather, this is why you should find it crazy to think you can escape judgment if you walk away. A Christ-spoken, apostle-affirmed, God-testified gospel is not the kind of message that you can reject and avoid retribution. And so, as we think about what to take with us this morning, we need to be very careful not to do an end run around the authorial intent of these verses and use like a skewed version of the doctrine of perseverance to convince ourselves, I could never, I could never fall away. But rather, we should take seriously these inspired words, and and, and we should participate in our perseverance by understanding that continuing in the faith is essential in order to enter eternal life, and a primary means of continuing in the faith is fastening our attention to the gospel. And that's precisely what we should do in obedience to this text. Fasten our attention to the gospel. We must pay all the more attention to the good news. Adopt a mindset that a God-given means of persevering in the faith is maintaining a steady diet of gospel influence all the time. Faith needs the gospel like fire needs oxygen. So feed it. Feed it. Feed it the good news. Again, very very quickly, just gleaning from some of the things we've already seen. Here, here are some ways of doing this. Ways of paying much more clo- close attention to the gospel. First of all, prioritize preaching and teaching. We've kind of already looked at this. I've already quoted 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy on this. Both of those contexts assume not merely listening to biblical teaching, but applying it. And, and more accurately, we should focus on conforming our thinking, affections, and living to the Scriptures. We, we, we should... We should hone our ability also to to take the big idea of a sermon and apply it in ways not specifically mentioned in a message. If you you can do that, you're moving up to the bigs, okay? So when you you hear a sermon, take this sermon and think, okay, Pastor Greg has mentioned some some specific ways to apply this. Go home this afternoon and say, okay, I, I know the big idea then. What are some other ways to apply this? 
That's, that's a way to prioritize preaching and teaching. You can also prioritize preaching and teaching by not being satisfied with a Sunday sermon, but a Monday sermon, a Tuesday sermon, a Thursday sermon through some great podcasts online. Also, you can prioritize Bible study. Remember that one of the chief concerns of the author for his recipients, according to chapter 5, is that these people have, have, have not moved on to become more, more mature students of the Word. He says that they are unskilled in the word of righteousness, and therefore their powers of discernment are untrained. Can you think of a more precarious place to be in this world than having no biblical discernment? Just get on your Instagram feed this afternoon and, and think to yourself, what if I were a blank slate? Well, you may be. You may be more of a blank slate than you think. So he encourages them to dig deeper into the Word. So should we. Come to the quarterly members meeting tonight to find out some, about some upcoming opportunities for digging deeper into the Word. Another way, another way to, to feed on the gospel is good books. Great sources, missionary biographies. My favorite is one called To the Golden Shore, The Life of Adoniram Judson. These things, they, they just stir you up in the faith. Some modern books, there's some good modern books that just tell stories of people who have been transformed by the gospel. A new one is called A Change of Affection. A Change of Affection by, by a man named Beckett Cook. He was, he was a homosexual man working in Hollywood. Transformed, utterly transformed by the power of the gospel. These, these, these kinds of books, they just they put in front of us tales of how the cross has transformed others from sinners into saints. And, and, and when we're eating a steady diet of this kind of thing, it's hard to walk away from the good news. Another way of keeping the gospel in front of us, prioritizing relationships. Going back to Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Understanding that crossing the finish line, line is a team sport. Make time for mutual stirring up of one another into love and good works. Prioritize prayer. Prioritize prayer. Specifically, prayer for perseverance. Pray for greater affection for Christ. Lord, bend my heart to avail myself of all your prescribed means for my endurance in the faith. Finally, prioritize meditation. Meditate on the gospel. There are, there are tools for this. One, one favorite that we like around here is called the gospel primer. The gospel primer. You can also just take a component of the gospel, one component of the gospel a day, just dive deep into that, holiness of God, just dive deep into that, meditating on that for a day, the sinfulness of man the next day, hell the next day, and then just proceed your way through the gospel. Key is feed the fire. Feed the fire. Pay all the more attention to the things that you've heard so that you will not Drift away from it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for salvation in Jesus. And we, we, we thank you that 
you've granted us faith in Christ. Pray, Father, that you would you would help us to hold together all of these things in our mind and to hold them rightly. And Lord, even as we rejoice in the fact that a measure of the new covenant is that you keep us in the faith. Lord, help us to believe with all of our hearts in line with this passage that you use means to do that. And so help us to give ourselves over to what is called for here, which is to keep our eyes on the gospel lest we drift away. We pray for understanding. We pray for hunger. We pray for all your means of perseverance to be brought to bear in our lives, including this one, that we would be hungry for the gospel, feeding on it all the time. Ask these things in Jesus' name.